Hello and welcome to a special episode of Softshell Radio, featuring students from the Emla Art Writing Cohort at Glasgow School of Art. We would normally be doing this as a live event at the Poetry Club, along with students from the Emlet course in Creative Writing at the University of Glasgow. Softshell Radio emerged out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our contributors will be presenting poems, works in progress, songs and short texts. First up, we have a poem by Ben Redhead, a text by Lucy McLaughlin, another short text by N.G. Mandia, and a poem by Rachel Harris Huffman. Sea shelf, peeled moss plum, sea rope ringlets, blanketed in white froth. My foot wakes the spinach beneath in sunken murmur. Bitten ripple gorged in mud carpet, flowering of the sod. I crush the moment for its substance, split the green, burst the plain. A new breed of day lifted from sage. Rain stirs white, Alison. Black cats with white socks on their night walks, overwhelmed by thinking. Also by discrete actions, moments, events, facts, truths, or even just the thought of others. Grouping things together, flattening them out in a line of text, exposing connections the artist or writer isn't aware of. Someone says yes, serendipity effect, as it's called in the information science. They also use the language of movement to talk about the difference between physical and digital. Things that existed for a long time as objects, but have moved into digital space, with no sign of returning. Like phone books. It's not so much a movement as a changing of states, a re-presenting of information in an entirely different language. I feel such tenderness for the river, its dirty belly, its banks on either side with corrugated metal jewellery. So many times now I've missed recording the chug-chug of the trains, the woman's voice on the tannoy and the horn, But I can go back, I can go back, I can go back, I can go back. Maybe try to leave an opening, a reason, a moment yet to be taken. Someone says, I'm still not seeing properly the thread of what I'm writing. I write to you because I don't understand myself. I'm thinking about understanding, in who the you is. Most obviously, I can say it's the reader. But here is a writer writing to herself. She says, I'm expressing myself very badly and the right words escape me. She works with the indirect, the informal and the unforeseen. I don't believe in the words I'm using. Their meaning gets lost. Is it abstraction that's the problem then? That the story doesn't happen in any sense of movement from one scene to the next? Sometimes when someone doesn't reply to my WhatsApp, I worry I've imagined them. My limbs feel loose like the bones are wobbling. There's a field that I go to not far from the house, with one wooden bench. Once a rat hopped out of the long grass to say hello, but turned on its heels almost instantly. Sometimes a plane crosses the sky, or a person walks from one end to another with a small child on their shoulders. There are different types of trees, but I don't know their names, and there's a pink weed with red stems. I suppose it was really a meadow, large in some conference. 
And I've come here just to write all this down, just to lower the fever of feeling. Traces of the unresolved and overlooked. Engineering ambiguities. I didn't have the mic tonight on the street. All those groups of people talking about interval training, burning cows. Should we head back? A man lost in a group in the dark. I want to collect them. Everything they say sparkles, never to be recovered or listened to again. The evening without order or instruction. To possess the fragments of speech they inflict on the air, harsh cuts and wounds, the fuzzy blue of tea time in winter. The raindrop that hit the inside of my lip as I walked. There's always a new street to walk down and another and another until you've walked them all and really are just walking home. Someone says that when walking there's a separation between body and mind and that the human body is engaged in performing the act of walking while the mind is not. Two steps up the street from the place I took off from and the sound is different, softer. Like walking into a spider's web, you can't see it. Listening is the opposite of keeping your coat on on a night out. Not committing to the space or the room, nursing the ice in your drink with a clammy palm. I can smell when they have their fires lit. When the lights are on outside number 10, it means the dad is in the porch smoking. The street lamp that shines white instead of orange. The one that's broken too. People shouting who are outdoor drinking. Moonlight caught on metal gate stems. Black cats with white socks. The echoing voices carry distances. We must be in some large, boundless field. There's quite a lot of talking going on, but I can't seem to understand much of it. I don't think it's Italian they're speaking. Boy, do I miss Genoa. Might still feel a bit seasick. And this dust raining at me, I can feel it sneaking through every crevice of my new weft, like a swarm of needles. Voices stop. A deep rumble, followed by a release, a signal. Feet start pounding, they reverberate closer and closer on the ground. Then there is hands, 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 hands everywhere, coarse blister bitten by the wind. They move me and shake me, and boy do I feel sick, please stop, my head is spinning, please. The first tear comes as a surprise. I hear myself protest with a noise like a prolonged rattling slap, muffled by the wind, we hiss in unison. Hands soft, hands hardened, pulling and pulling and pulling, twitching, twisting, tangling, throwing, ripping. Now I are two but still one. Repeating. Now I are four but still one. Hands soft, hands hardened, stretch tie, hoop, roll, ravel, unravel. Wood splinters, iron rust, peeling paint on walls, flakes of skin. I am an eye, but also a day. Blue weft of cotton thread weaving through the fleeky warp of skin, bread, concrete, blades of grass, gravel, earth, suspended, holding distances close. For I am a one, but also a many. The behavior of ether. There has to be something between us, some substance in the spaces of this dark distance. My own horror vacui has left me restless. I can't breathe in the realm of your divine essence. Our chemical ironies 
bend luminescence. I will build a machine to measure every empty iota over black oceans, cycled through brass tubes and blown glass and electrics, caught up in our unending search for quintessence. You will be Hunter and I'll be your patience. I know there is mass in these movements. The luminous emptiness holds its own presence. You're rigorous in your mechanical physics. Caught you calculating the O's in my metrics. Unprovable, invisible, obsolescence. Next up, we have a text by Lorna O. A text by Sarah O'Brien, three poems from Caitlin Merrick King, and a song by Molly O'Leary. What is this gigantic gap? A renewed hunger again and again and again. New day, new day, new day. I suck you in, but then I have to spit you back out again. Why do I have to give you back only to gain you again and then to give you back again? Returning to being insular, the humming, screaming, banging and celebrating quietens down until it's just me again. In my mind, maybe reading a book, rubbing against you, and every time I do, a memory flashes past my mind like a distant train, banging and slapping. But that was then, and now it is finished. But I never want it to. Everything becomes an empty space needing to be filled, grabbing and gasping to be filled, by you and only you, again and again and again, new day, new day, new day. Maybe this is a little further on, that a desire, a desire if it had run a relay and passed on the baton to something greater and totally irreversible. Once upon a time, remember when we used to sleep on each other's floors? And now she's decided to go on a charm offensive. I hope it all works out, though. We could all do with a break, really. We should make sure we dismantle all of those inner walls, shall we, just in case? Remember when we used to sleep on each other's floors? And back then, no new meds and rubber bands squeezing my brain out of my ears and around the backs of my eyes, getting dizzy spells whilst walking through those student halls. But I miss you now. The luminous yellow curry grease has somehow wrapped its way around my bookmark and seeped into the spine. The highly sensitive existence is fraught with grave danger at every chair and fridge and corridor. Beds and sofas slam between wall and ceiling, and an imaginary poltergeist gusts through and then out again, all too quickly. I don't have any pubes anymore, which is cold and annoying. I didn't mean to. It looks so lonely down there, so all the more reason to. I crave you on the underside of my skin and my scalp and behind my gums, swallowing everything you have, everything you are, and everything you might one day be. I want it all. I would take a hundred punches for it, but only for all of it. Alas, it isn't a contract, though. It's tenuous but content at the same time. How does that make sense? How do we not live nervously at every moment? You are sadly not bound to me, but I feel bound to you, but I guess in some ways we can trust others lots, and sometimes not trust ourselves at all. So who knows what will happen? It's also bloody exciting, isn't it? Always looking for an excuse to pour, to only pour myself into you would rather do that than anything else. People would call this unhealthy. Who can blame them? But with my upbringing and all those songs and films, they're not very healthy either. The magic possibilities of the miniature and the distant creaking door in someone else's house. Why can I hear them snoring whilst I dash to pee in the night again? Cold home days, golden chimney breasts and sore thighs. Didn't I do it for you? The leaves refuse to untangle from the yellow fur and I contemplate the prospect of a unique experience, a lack of something, a few things, whilst other aspects are the least lacking they have ever been. 
Small dark chocolates and first thing in the morning chats about death. Sorry about that. Making love will bring us back into the land of the living. Or take us to that other realm. The cold and yellow weather reminds me of the time when I was quieter, sucked out, with a grey kind of pallor. I didn't think things would ever be as good as they were, then. My mind was a wrinkled, delusional prune, it seems. I knitted and knitted and sat and sat and stared and stared and wept continuously that autumn, that winter, that spring. Was never awake, but never asleep either. Just not much, really. But the thing about it was, is that I couldn't see my future, without the thing that was clawing away at it and dragging it into oblivion. But I guess that's probably why. When I dashed out of my room to do a wee, sometimes I could see glimpses of it, the future I mean, winking at me from between the floorboards or in the bathroom taps. But then I would just sit on the loo, the piss weakly trickling out of me from somewhere, I couldn't feel the source, and stare blankly into space, a dull ache behind my eyes that had become an essential constant. And have so many thoughts piercing through my head that none of them ever got pinned down and nothing ever got done. Until it did. I mean, thank fuck, I say to myself. Summer came. How is that such a cliché? And I lost hair but gained weight and glowed and laughed and cuddled. Not all the time, but enough and loads more than before. And probably more than before that too, to be honest. Now time for a recipe. For russet apple crumble. Ingredients. Apples, sugar, crumble mix, a slither of thumb skin, tears, butter, rising shouting. Method. Step one. To be done with someone who you will end up arguing with. Stand side by side and chop hundreds of apples. Your favourites are russet. You are cooking this crumble for an event, a banquet, an attempt to bring friends and family together. Step two. The discussion becomes heated as hundreds and hundreds of apples pile up around you. An immense feeling of despair rises above the worktops. Step 3. Turn to your aggressive companion to say something. Accidentally, a piece of your thumb gets cut off by your own knife. It gets lost among the piles of apple slices. Step 4. Blood trickles and your cheeks become hot as your eyes search for your piece of thumb amongst the russet slices. Step 5. But still, you must continue to make the crumble that will bring friends and family together. Healing crumble, you think to yourself. Step six. Then follow the tears as you gently fry the butter and sugar together in a massive pot. Step seven. Your cheeks are burning and so is the sugar. Oh dear, take the pot off the heat to cool. Step eight. Need to find a plaster to my thumb. For my thumb, you think to yourself. Looking at the apples surrounding you. The aggressive companion now, nowhere to be seen. He fled as soon as things started hotting up. Step 9. Three hours later, the mountains of apples sit dejectedly as brown creeps across their skins. The kitchen air is hostile and the butter has long evaporated. This is a recipe for russet crumble. Ingredients. Apples, sugar, crumble mix, slither of thumb skin, tears, butter, rising, shouting. Step 1. To be done with someone who you will end up arguing with. Stand side by side and chop hundreds of apples, your favourites of russets. You are cooking this crumble for an event, a banquet, an attempt to bring friends and family together. Step 2. The discussion becomes heated as hundreds and hundreds of apples pile up around you. An immense feeling of despair rises above the worktops. Step 3. Turn to your aggressive companion to say something. Accidentally, a piece of your thumb gets cut off by your own knife. It gets lost among the piles of apple slices. Step 4. Blood streams and your cheeks become hot as your eyes search for your piece of thumb amongst the russet slices.
Step five, but still you must continue to make the crumble that will bring friends and family together. Healing crumble, you think to yourself. Step six, then follow the tears as you gently fry the butter and sugar together in a massive pot. Step seven, your cheeks are burning and so is the sugar. Oh dear, take the pot off the heat to cool. Step eight, need to find a plaster for my thumb, you think to yourself, looking at the apples surrounding you. The aggressive companion, now nowhere to be seen, he fled as soon as things started hotting up. Step nine, three hours later. The mountains of apples sit dejectedly as brown creeps across their skins. The kitchen air is hostile and the butter has long evaporated. Some are not so hidden forms. One of the first things he told me was how it was all back then an attempt to chop up the world. And now I watch a performance treading between anatomy and astronomy that opens up the chest cavity in order to reveal therein the seeds that connect it to the cosmos out there. It seems like everyone has been talking about constellations. I am more concerned with the treaties on stars. Although it does exist between the star systems of the galaxy, molecular form with dust and cosmic ray beams, orbiting and then circulating bodies on perpetual preservationist migratory paths, coasting towards a frictionless world, crease-resistant, toxic and volatile. As early as the 15th century, alchemists monitoring antills noticed vapours emitted by the insects for attack and defence. As per the impetus of the era some centuries later, scientists strove to isolate this for themselves extracting it via mass distillations of carefully orchestrated colonies of ants. A poet leaves her manuscript outside during winter so that the poem can be revealed to her by the snow. Another poet remarks that poetry is often referred to as the distillation of language. This raises it up too much, he thinks. It is more like language in decay. By the 20th century, it had been synthesised as a chemical with which to preserve the bodies of the dead. Is a means of preservation not also always a mode of making precious? The keepsake keeps sacred and allows absence to be clutched close to the chest. It might explain these intermittent explosions that bloom across your skin. Scarring bodies as it treats the image like a wound holds that fissure caused by the fracture of time. What am I supposed to say, I wonder, when you can't say anything back? A white solid that dissolves without degradation. A characteristic odour, pungent and causing irritation. Disjointing like those memories that ruffle the past into the folds of the present, in moments dismembered by rememberings. She knocks on the door and enters with trepidation to a place deliberately shrouded and kept invisible. It's all part of the last services that they provide, I am told, allowing them to give one final, silent and convincing performance. There was even a time when people posed and took photographs of the dead, when theories of vision used to think that the eyes reached out and touched the surface of the world. Where there was glass is now stone, and paper stands in for flesh. The time capsule has washed up on the shore, and the monolithic monument in the desert has come and gone. 
but I know you will remain exactly as I left you and saw you last. At the opposite of the rate of decay, perhaps we still have a chance to just breathe our way out of this. A bad day. A very bad day. No lavender oil left from my bath, but I lather tea tree oil on burgeoning chin spot. Lisa Robertson saying, the bathroom, the bathroom, the bathroom, the bathroom, the bathroom, with a great talisman resting on the soft dip above her sternum. She has no references. She has no references. After reading each page of how to make people like you and pass the salt, she tears it out and repeatedly dunks it into her boiling hot chocolate, which splashes over the sides of the cup and into the shallow white saucer below, turning her speculoos biscuit into a spicy pate. Holding the page aloft above her steaming open mouth, she lets the whipped cream slide its way down the page, collecting an avalanche of vowels and commas, slopping onto her supine tongue yellow and furry from the illness of being sick as shit. Faye. The cleaning rotor says Faye, but it looks like fame has cleaned the toilets this afternoon. I stand behind the door, drying my hands, waiting for it to blow open and smack into the back of my head. Next, a woman's hands dangle below the bookshelf that I'm looking at, shaking like jazz hands, shaking tiny water droplets into the air around the books. It's raining on Sontag and Spinoza and Sundays. Whenever anyone says a full name in a poem, I assume that the person is not real and that it is an allegory for a lover or friend or enemy. And then something unrequited going on there to stimulate anonymity. No one is really called Lana Turner or Molly Schwartz. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening and thanks to all our contributors. This show was edited by Jen Martin. To finish this episode of Softshell Radio, we have Observations on the End by me, Megan Rudden. Goodbye. Welcome to Scottish Lockdown News, December 2020 with me, Fiona Mack, and this morning I will be bringing you some current observations of the beginning of the end of the world. I am broadcasting today from a particularly chilly Glasgow with temperatures this week falling to minus 145 degrees Celsius. The owner of a golf course in South Ayrshire has refused to leave the White House after his election loss to Joe Biden. A vaccine for the virus has been developed by Oxford University but the Prime Minister warns it will not be distributed until a tiny British flag is printed on every vaccine syringe. Scientists have found side effects to the vaccine may include delusions of grandeur, colonial denial and an irrational fear of immigrants. A man with a megaphone in Glasgow Green has urged people not to risk taking the vaccine as he has found a cure for the virus in the ingredients of Iron Brew. A spokesperson for Iron Brew has again released a statement denying that the drink has any medicinal value and suggested the man in question may have been referring to the old recipe. In a House of Commons speech Conservative MP Ben Bradley has asked for more rights for men after feeling discriminated against for identifying as a straight white bloke. This comes after recent allegations that his dad guards statues. Weather spoons have rolled out their Sunak specials menu in pubs across the country offering beer for £1 in honour of Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak. The pub chain giant recently received a £48.3 million bailout from the government but still told their staff to get another job in Tesco. The government has been criticised for refusing to feed school children after spending most of their budget on a scheme which encouraged the public to return to pubs, cafes and restaurants en masse by offering half-price food and drinks. In other news, pubs, cafes and restaurants across the country have been closed once again due to a rise in people contracting the virus. A government representative denied ever encouraging people to eat out to help out. Weather Spoons has since retracted their Sunak specials. Sunak has urged artists and musicians to find other jobs as he has confirmed there will be no art or music after the virus. The Chancellor who is married to a woman richer than the Queen was shocked to find that the artists and musicians already had other jobs. Cultural commentator and band member Liam Gallagher shared his thoughts in a tweet that said, this country would be beyond wank if it wasn't for the arts and the music and football show a bit of respect you little tired, come on, you know, LG. Children up and down the country have wrote to Boris Johnson to ask if lockdown restrictions will mean Santa won't be able to enter the UK this Christmas. Johnson has responded saying that lockdown will not impact his visit but his application for a work visa is currently under review due to impending Brexit restrictions. 
He added that lockdown will be lifted entirely over the festive period. The government plan outlines that all pubs and venues will reopen. People may only meet up in groups of 28 or more, and on Christmas Day people will be encouraged to lick each other's faces. The chief advisor to the Prime Minister Dominic Cummings has finally quit his role at number 10. This move comes six months after Cummings breached lockdown rules to drive to a castle to test his eyesight because his wife who was ill wasn't ill who was ill because he was ill but wasn't ill and he didn't have childcare because he didn't have children in the car but he did have children when he was checking his eyesight at his second home that This broadcast has been interrupted. This broadcast has been interrupt interrupted. This broadcast has been interrupt interrupted. This broadcast has been